I want you to come next week. I, I want you uh, to hear, I want you to meet Rob Malcolm, who's from Yale University and campus minister there. And I want you to hear, he has a great accent. That's worth coming. Just, I think he's from Scotland or Ireland. And he's a great guy. And also I want you to hear that we, we, we don't even get have time on Sunday to tell you everything that Compassion New England is doing. But they're doing some really cool things and opening up some new mission fields. And uh, I, I won't mess it up by halfway talking about it. I'll let uh, Sherry will be up here, I'm sure, next week and telling you all about it. So make sure you come next Sunday for that. Um, the reason, the, the message I've chosen today is, uh, the reason I want to preach this to you is I want you to, along with the earliest Christians, uh, find Jesus of high value. And I want us to also reevaluate our view of success and suffering. Uh, there, are, there are some ways, many ways, that I'm thankful for Christ making us worthy. He makes us worthy to be loved. I am worthy to be loved because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm worthy to be accepted. Um, I'm worthy to have an audience with the Heavenly Father I'm, willing, I'm worthy of sharing my deepest or my most elementary needs to him. I'm worthy of eternal life. I'm worthy of eternal life and to join Christ in the new heaven and the new earth that we anticipate because of Christ's death on the cross. I am worthy. And I could go on and on with a list of things. I'm worthy of deliverance from my, my problems and sins. I'm worthy of the invite indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to be within me and speak within me and that's a great treasure because he has made me worthy because he has made me the temple of the Holy Spirit but the early church added a worthy that leaves me scratching my head because I would have never thought of this one and um, I won't tell you the whole story I kind of put that burden on you to do your homework and go read Acts chapter 5 but it describes a time when Simon Peter and other apostles uh, got arrested for preaching the gospel. And they had performed miracles, and they got arrested for preaching the gospel. And to make a long story short, they got arrested and beat up really badly, and then they got released. And beating up is um, a mild term. They got flogged. And um, I don't know. I tr tried to research this and, and couldn't really figure out what that flogging was like. But if it was anything like what we know about Roman flogging, and what Jesus experienced, Roman flogging insisted of a whip that they called the cat of nine tails. And it was a long leather piece of, a long piece of leather that every few inches would have a huge metal, um, uh, 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 piece of metal in, in the leather. And so they would, uh, typically, they would give you 39 strikes because 49 would kill the average person. So they would bring you just short of death. So this was no... This was no uh, just getting pushed around or, 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 or uh, uh, some minor thing that happened. And this was a serious, serious suffering. And so here's their response to that suffering. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Day after day, 
in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, my quest here today is not to glorify suffering or to encourage you to seek suffering, but to find out why Jesus was so valuable that they would rejoice that God counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. My goal also today is not to make you feel guilty that you haven't suffered like that. No, I want to discover the beauty of Jesus. I want to discover, I want to love Jesus like that. I want to realize Jesus like that. I want to know Jesus like that. Reminds me of Viktor Frankl, the, who wrote Search for Meaning. He was arrested by the Nazis during the Nazi occupation, taken to a concentration camp called Auschwitz. And there, the first thing they did was they took away his manuscript. He had been working on the search for meaning for some time, and they took away his manuscript and threw it away. Uh, they took his coat, then they took his clothes, stripped of everything. They gave him some clothes that a uh, executed uh, Jew- Jewish brother had worn to the gas chambers. Inside of the coat, the lining of that coat, was a single piece of paper that we call the Shema Yisrael. And it's the, it's the prayer that Orthodox Jews say every day. And it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Later, as um, Viktor Frankl wrote about that, he, he talked about the fact that he... D- he did not have his written words of the search for meaning. And he said, to, he said I, will have, I will now have to live the words with my life. And he wrote this in the search for meaning. There's nothing in the world that would so effectively help one to survive, even the worst conditions, as the knowledge that there is a meaning in one's life. And here's the famous quote that you may have heard. He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Of those first Christians, somehow, some way, Jesus became their why. Now, I, if anything about my relationship with God that I can say for, for sure is that I have an honest relationship with God. I tell him how I feel. I tell him what I think. I tell him when I don't agree. I tell him when I'm upset. I tell him when I wish he would behave differently. I tell them, I often tell him what I would do for me if I were him. (laughs) Things would be a little bit better for me. So I I had kind of had it out with God the other day about this, about the devotion of the early church. That yes, but God, they saw you rise from the dead. They saw the risen Lord. They saw the nail prints, the spear pierced side. They saw you ascend to heaven. I didn't get to see that. Now, I'm convinced you did because I've, I've spent my life researching this. And every time I go deep dive into it, I come back believing even stronger that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's coming again. But I didn't get to see that. And I didn't get to be in the upper room with tongues of fire sitting on 120 people. I didn't get to experience that, Jesus. And I, and I haven't 
raise the dead like the apostles did, and I haven't seen some of the miracles. I've seen miracles, but I haven't seen the miracles like some of them did, it seems. But then I was reminded almost before I could finish my prayer, wait a minute, there's so many places in the New Testament where there were no miracles. There were no deliverances. But yet these people knew Jesus. Jesus was so real to them and Jesus was so beautiful to them that they counted it a joy to suffer for him because their life truly had meaning. So as I think about these things, I think of three things. I think there are three things that they had in focus. One is they saw the success of those who suffered righteously. Secondly, they saw the beauty and desirability of Jesus. And thirdly, they saw that in a world of unavoidable suffering, unavoidable suffering, that the world The man that is born of woman is few days and full of trouble. That the world is a world of unavoidable suffering and that Christ was a cause worth suffering for. And the other causes, maybe not. So let's start with the first point. We are worthy to suffer because we see the success of those who suffer righteously. Jesus talked about this. Matthew chapter 5 verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when people, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So pressure, harassment, even persecution, even I'm just going to tell you what's what's happening. It happened to me last Sunday. I don't know why. But my computer, I've started preaching my laptop, which I love. But suddenly it shuts me out of my notes. And I have to remember my password to get back in. (laughs) So, here we go. Somebody's going to text me and tell me why this happens and how I can prevent it. I'm back. Almost. It changed other settings. I'm suffering through Jesus up here. (laughs) So pressure, harassment, persecution confirmed the rightness of their commitment to Christ. Instead of, oh no, we're suffering, they go, oh yeah, we're on the right team. <laughs> we're, on the, we're on the right side because we're being hated by the right people. <laughs> it, it reminds me of, of, of a song, uh, Sherman Andrews, who used to sing Back Up for Elvis. He, he used to sing this song, uh, when I was a young boy just starting to grow, my, mom told me, my mama told me something she wanted me to know, when you're living right and doing like you should, the devil's going to bother you good. (laughs) I must be doing something right. must be walking right in the light. I got the devil real uptight. I must be doing something right. Persecution. It's, it's, you know, it's like an athlete that wants to get in the game, especially, especially if it's a contact sport. And most sports tend to be uh, 
contact, at least when I played them, back when I played them, they, I, I, still, I still have a knee that hurts from running into uh, Wayne Morrill on second base at Mellon Field. <laughs> so, but, but if you're on the team and you go to the game, you want to get in the game. You, 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 even though it's going to be contact. And even though you're probably, when you're, when you're 65, you're going to wish you hadn't gotten the game. But you're going to, there's, going to be, <laughs> there's going to be suffering involved, but you want to get in the game. There's nothing like wanting to get in the game. So the early Christians, they were so excited to know they were in the game. They were so excited because persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. John Stott said a long time ago. There are, it's not that the world hates Jesus. They don't even know Jesus, by the way. But there will be something that Jesus stands for, that if you live it out in your life every day, that you will encounter some type of resistance. If you live out the teachings and, and, and ways of Jesus Christ. See, Christians were considered the outcast of society for the first 300 years. I don't think we understand this, because... We've gone through an era of, of Christianity being quite popular, even though, yes, we've been, uh, we, we've been disliked and all of that, but we've gone through an era when Christianity has been quite popular in Western culture. But Christianity was considered, they were considered the outcasts of society for the first 300 years. Uh, you, did you know this, that Christians were actually considered atheists? In the, in the first 300 years, we were considered to be non-believers and atheists because uh, the Greek and Roman world had all these mythical gods and goddesses and we said, no, we don't believe in the g- mythical gods and goddesses of, 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 of Greek and Roman culture. And they also practiced emperor worship, was very, was very strong. The Caesars declared that they were, God as w- they were gods as well. And so uh, if... Um, if uh, crops didn't grow or we, they lost a battle or, or there was a, a, a pandemic that came through, which there were many, uh, if, uh, if, if there was any type of natural disaster, if there was famine, any of those things, the, the Romans would especially say to the Christians, it's your fault, you're not pleasing the gods. Not only, not only are you not pleasing the gods, but you are following a a, a, a criminal. You're following a criminal that we crucified. We, per, we tried him. We tried him in a court of law and we found him guilty of insurrection and that's who you're following. You're following a criminal and not only that, you're a cannibal. You're can, they accused him of cannibalism because they talked about eating Christ's flesh and drinking his blood. And so they, anything that went wrong, they blamed the Christians for it, and they would drag them off to the, to the arena to be killed by the wild animals and killed them in all kinds sorts of other interesting ways. They weren't always persecuted like that, but there were many, many periods that they were persecuted like that. Because, and, and, and uh, in fact, uh, uh, Emperor Nero, when Rome uh, began to burn, he blamed the Christians for, for, for uh, the fire, for arson. So they were brought in for arson. Not only were they brought in for arson, which of course they did not do, not only were they brought in for arson, but because of, in his view, his view, they had superstitious beliefs. Now today we, we, look, at, we look at Caesar and said, you had the superstitious beliefs. 
you believed in mythical gods and you believed in Thor and all of these things were, were battling in the heavenlies and if they were in a bad mood, then your wife wasn't going to have any kids, you know? <laughs> so so who, who, who's, who, who's out to lunch here, you know? Uh, but, but, but they, but they, but, but they uh, uh, believed that the Christians were the problem. And so when, when, near, when, when, when Rome began to burn and he blamed the Christians for it, and he brought them in for arson. He did not only bring them in for arson, he also killed them and, and arrested them for hatred against mankind. But, in fact, uh, one, one, other, one other thing I'll share with you about suffering uh, they had this council back in 325 uh, A.D. called the Nicene Council, and that's when a group of church leaders gathered together, and they kind of formulated the early doctrines of the church. And they had just come out of this period of great suffering, and that's when the tide was turning, which I'll allude to in a minute, how the tide turned for the Christians and what caused, what caused Rome begin to, to embrace Christianity and make it their official religion. And, uh, uh, but, uh, but the... The Nicene Council, when they met, and these were people who, who had come out of the intense time of persecution, uh, this, happened, uh, this happened in uh, uh, about three, uh, 325 A.D. Of the 300, listen to this, of the 318 delegates attending, fewer than 12 had not lost an eye, a hand, or did not limp on a leg lame because of their torture for being a Christian. And then, in fact, there's a, I guess you'd call it a terrible story, beautiful story, it depends how you look at it, of a 14-year-old girl who was brought in, and, and what they would do, they would bring a Christian in, and they would have a flame burning and some incense. And they would say, if you will just burn a pinch of incense to the emperor, as worship to the emperor, then we will let you go. And the Christians would say, no, we will not burn incense to, to, to the Caesar. And this 14-year-old girl was given the choice, you burn incense to the emperor or we will, we will send you to the arena to face the wild animals. And she said no. And this little girl went and faced the wild animals because of it. Um, but here's what Christians did, though. They maintained their love for Jesus and they suffered. It, if they had not suffered and they had not suffered so courageously, you would not be in church today. You know what happened in about between 250 and 270 A.D.? A plague came. It was either, they believe, now we believe it was either measles or smallpox. 5,000 people a day were dying in Rome from the pandemic. The Romans ran from the pandemic. The Christians ran toward it. The Romans would put their elderly, they'd put grandma out in the street or in the yard to die alone. And the Christians would go get their grandma, the neighbor, pagan neighbor's grandma, and bring them into their house and minister and, and care for them. And they did this all over, all over the Roman Empire. Christians. Christians did not run from the pandemic. They ran toward the pandemic. And uh, the epidemic that seemed, uh, Candida Moss writes, the epidemic that seemed like the end of the world promoted the spread of Christianity when it was all over Christianity grew by leaps and bounds because the people looked at Christianity and they said about the Christians have something worth dying for and we don't. 
Albert Barnes said it this way, it has become a settled principle that nothing which is good and true can be destroyed by persecution. But that the effect ultimately is to establish more firmly and to spread more widely that which was designed to overthrow. It has long since passed into a proverb that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Why did they, why did they rejoice that they could suffer for Christ? Because they knew that's how to succeed. They knew that's how the prophets did it. They knew that's how Jesus did it. Listen, they saw an executed Savior rise from the dead. They knew that suffering was okay. And I don't mean to say that lightly. I, I said it with a smile on my face, but it, it's not lightly. It is hard and it's difficult, and I don't wish it for me or anybody else. But I do wish for you and me that we could know Jesus like that. I do wish for you and me that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit like that. That we could love Jesus and know Jesus so real and know him so well and see him so beautiful that if it came to it, and in some way it will come to it for all of us, there will be pressures that will come to bear because we follow Jesus. And when we do, we will count it all joy. Secondly, we're worthy to suffer because we see the beauty and desirability of Jesus. Please don't misunderstand me. We're not to desire, seek up suffering, or suffer needlessly or foolishly. When a person sees Jesus clearly, though, he becomes the pearl of great price. He becomes the cause. He becomes the why. There will always be the people, though, who will feel that, that, that following Jesus makes you less useful, maybe even dangerous. I uh, asked a Chinese Christian here a couple of years ago, I asked him, why does your government persecute Christians and, uh, and which they do and, and even more so right now and he said because they can't control us because I was thinking I, the reason I asked the question because I was naive and I was thinking well why wouldn't you want Christians Christians are more likely to uh, show up for work and not steal the office supplies uh, they're more likely to care about their neighbor. They're more likely to give to charitable causes. They're, they're more likely not to destroy your culture. More, they're more likely like not to burn your business down uh, if they don't like you. Uh, you know? I, I, mean, I mean, I'm not saying that necessarily true because Christians do all of those things. People who call themselves Christians do all of those things, right, Steve? Uh, so, so we don't take it for granted that those things will happen. But, you're, but if you are following Christ, you're more likely, uh, you're more likely uh, only to call in. You're more likely to only call in for work sick when you're really sick. You know, you, you won't be like, uh, I can't come to work today. I'm sick. Click of work. You know, you won't do that if you're fully following Christ. But, but he said, no, they can't control us. Because there's something about, there's something about when, when, and I'm not trying to get into politics at all, but when the state begins to see itself as the deity and God, that they need, they need a control that's not healthy. So I'm not trying to get off into that at all. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which has come on you to test you. I don't know. Are any, are any of the TV preachers using these passages? I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't run across these lately. 
Dear friends, do not be surprised the fiery ordeal. Uh, you know, it's just like, uh, okay. Uh, don't, don't be surprised at all the blessings that are going to come on your life if you, if you give your money to this church, you know. What if I got up here and said, don't be surprised. Gonna, welcome to membership class. Don't be surprised that this is really going to make your life complicated if you join this church. Don't be surprised. It's really going to, your life is going to, you're going to have the worst year of your life. <laughs> but, but that's what Jesus kind of said to these people. Uh, come and follow me, dear friends. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that it will come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. When we experience the desirability of Jesus, we happily move ourselves into the second position. Now, now, now one, thing about, one thing about the Christian life, if you will really go deep in thinking about it, if you stay up on the surface, you might not go there, but if you'll go a little deeper, you will find that it's very rational and it makes sense. This is not an irrational thing that you would find another person, another being so beautiful that you would put yourself in the second position. The first time you watch your bride walk down the aisle, you gladly put yourself in the second position, right? The first time that little person says, Daddy, Mommy, you're done. <laughs> you're done as being in first place. When, when that friend at work, you know, takes a hit for you, they, they go ahead and let the boss think that they lost the Johnson account and it was really you that didn't call him back. And they let them do that and to cover your life, to, to, to take care of you. You know, you're, you're going, I'll stand in front of a firing squad for them now, that they did that for me. You are a fortunate human when you have lights in your life that outshine you. How sad it is. How sad it is to have no one in your life worth suffering for. If that is the case, you simply aren't adequately loved. We've, we hear it, I often hear athletes say this about their coach. If they love their coach, they will say, I would run through a wall for them. You are fortunate indeed if you know people that you will suffer for. If you don't, you don't have the right kind of relationships. When we experience the desirability of Jesus, we're overwhelmed also with an attraction to immortality. Not in the sense of escaping this old cruel world, but in the sense of a triumph over it. We're talking about the inner joy that Christ will ultimately triumph over all things, knowing that. The Bible says, 1 Timothy 6, 1, read this, no wonder they suffered and considered it joyful. He alone is immortal and dwells in unapproachable light. 
2 Corinthians 5, 1, sometimes, we, and this is the Message Bible, so you'll understand the, the kind of homey language that he uses. I love the way he, the way he interprets Scripture. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move. So we cry out in frustration compared to what's coming. Living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. And we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. My brother was here last week, talked about his Muslim students that he works with, and one particular um, uh, lovely Muslim girl that he has an intern, had as an intern a couple of years ago. He asked her one day, what do you think, of, what do you think when you think about the afterlife? And she said, I feel terrified. I thought about that. When I think of the afterlife, I don't feel terrified. I feel thrilled when I think about the afterlife. When I think about what Christ has guaranteed for us in, in, in life and the new heavens and the new earth, and I think of it, I don't, I don't say, I'm not at, at all afraid of dying. I'm not at all afraid. I'm afraid of suffering. Uh, I don't want to die badly. I'm trying to figure that one out, how not to die badly. (laughs) But I'm not trying to avoid death at all. Uh, uh, This is is what, you know, we're not terrified. Do do you ever think of that? I never think about that until Joe told me that. You know, so many of you take that for granted that you don't feel terrified of the afterlife. You, would, you wouldn't have that if you didn't have Jesus. Jesus is the reason you don't feel terrified of the afterlife. And of course there are those who focus on the sweet by and by and uh, that makes them useless for the blessed here and now. Of course there's those people. But that's not at all what happened to the first century church. Why? Why, why, didn't, why didn't believing in eternity make them useless for this earth? You've probably heard the saying, so heavenly minded and earthly good. Why didn't it do that to them? Because if you read the epistles, they were convinced that the first order of business when they would meet Jesus would be an accounting for how they conducted and contributed to this mortal, earthly, temporary life. See, God gave you two eyes and two ears for a reason. He gave you one eye to look at eternity in heaven and one ear to listen to the sound of heaven and eternity, and one eye and one ear to look at the sound of earth and the concerns of this world. We are confident, he says, I say in, two, two, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him. Whether we're at home in the body or away from it, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You know, when you start walking with Jesus in balance, you will be more useful to this present world, not less. Uh, see, early biblical Christianity was the foundation of earthly productivity and scientific discovery. It really was. It was pagan beliefs that magical superstitions and mystical deities control disease, agriculture, material prosperity. That's what kept the world in darkness. A serious and healthy Christian can always enjoy this world even though they prefer the next one. It was Christian thought it was Christian thought that, 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 that said, you know, if, if, 
if, if you're sick, it might be because you're violating certain health rules, not because the gods are angry at you. When we experience the desirability of Jesus, we have no greater passion than wanting others to know him. You might say, but we have no right to impose our values on other people. I totally agree with you. We have no right to impose our values on others. But, but listen, to, de- to desire that everybody else experience the beauty of Jesus, that's not forcing our values. That's sharing our treasure. Every, you know, think about this. Every value for time and eternity is focused in the life, the teachings, the cross, the resurrection, and the presence of Jesus. Every important value that makes this present world not be total hell is found in the life, teaching, presence, cross, resurrection of Jesus Christ. For instance, the value for hard work. The, re- the value of reward for hard work without neglecting the truly needy. That value is in Jesus. Moral purity without self-righteousness. Harmony of humanity without compromise. Social justice without demolishing social order. The courage to face death without devaluing life. That's all in Jesus. We used to sing, I found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see all I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He all my grief has taken and all my sorrows born in temptation. He's my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him forsaken and all my idols torn from my heart and now he keeps me by his power. Though all the world forsake me and Satan tempts me sore, through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here while I live by faith and do his blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I have nothing now to fear. With his manna he my hungry soul shall fill. Then sweeping up the glory to see his blessed face where rivers of delight shall ever roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. That's the beauty of Jesus. Finally, we are worthy because Christ is a worthy cause in a world of unavoidable suffering. Elizabeth and Jim Elliott, along with four other, four other families, back in 1956, went to Ecuador to reach the Aqua Indian, Alka Indians, I meant to say, of the Wudani tribe. And these are, were, were people who had never seen a white person. And so you, they went and began to try to reach them with the gospel. Uh, Unfortunately, they were frightened. The Indians were frightened, and they speared all of them to death, all the men. All the men were speared to death. Elizabeth Elliot that you see on the right there survived, and she and her daughter uh, came back to the United States. 
the headline in the uh, the headline in the Ecuadorian newspaper read, "What a waste." Interesting. That's the same words that Judas used when a woman poured expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus, and he also said, "What a waste." Was it a waste or was it an act of worship? Well, Elizabeth Elliot wrestled with this. And one day in prayer, she was asking God, okay, God, was it worth it? Was it worth it that five men died, my husband died, and I'm left with, my, with our daughter, and I'll never see them again in this life, and for what reason was it worth it? And she wrestled with this for a long time. And finally she said, I felt like God broke in and said to me, asked, said to me, Elizabeth, you are asking the wrong question. The question is not, was it worth it? The right question is, am I worthy? Am I worthy? And she said, yes, Jesus, you're worthy. And she returned with another lady to the Alka Indians and she led them all to Christ. She led her husband's murders to Jesus Christ and uh, that's just a great story. I think, I, think the, uh, I think the documentary is called The End of the Spear, right, Christy? In, End of the Spear? One of, them. One of the documentaries that you can watch on that. Splendor. Gates of Splendor, amazing story. See, Here's the deal, guys. Here's the deal about, about suffering. Again, again, I'm not, I want, to, I want you to be very clear that I'm not trying to make any of us feel guilty that we don't suffer more. You know, it's very common that pastors will tell you about these suffering stories and then they will close with, and you can't even serve in the nursery. <laughs> As a way to just get you to do what we want you to do. I don't like manipulation. And I know we're not, we're not in the first century. We're in the 21st century. And many things are different. And to try to superimpose with the first century on the 21st century is not a good idea. I'm not seeking suffering. And I'm, I hope that none of you ever lose your job because of Christ. I hope none of you ever lose your house. I hope none of you ever are jailed because of your witness for Christ. That's not my point at all today. But here are two often ignored facts about human existence. Number one, barring Christ's return. And by the way, I've noticed, have you noticed that um, since we've had a couple of rough years, that there's a lot more teaching about the rapture? <laughs> I've seen a lot more videos about the rapture of the church. I just think that's interesting because we went like 20 years and nobody talked about the rapture and now we're talking about the rapture because we don't like to suffer, right? And I'm, I'm, I believe in the rapture, so don't look at it. I, I, I know I just got in trouble. I believe in the rapture, okay? So I go to that church, he doesn't even believe in the rapture. Yes, I do believe in the rapture. I believe in the catching way. I believe, I, I believe Christ is going to return and restore a new heaven and earth. I, I believe all of that. I don't, I don't know when. I don't know how. I've not set many dates. I don't know. But barring that 
great event that we call the rapture, barring the event called the rapture, you will not get out of this world alive. That's point number one. Does everybody got that? You will not get out of here alive. Secondly, secondly, you will pay a price for whatever path you choose and whichever Savior you serve. That great theologian Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody, right? I still, I love that album. I still listen to that album all the time. Do you know, let me ask you a little survey today. Do you know anyone who's suffering because they chose to serve pleasure and the gratification of the flesh? Do you know anybody suffering? Broken relationships, broken finances, <laughs> all kinds of other things we could list. Do you know anybody who's suffering because they ch- chose to serve, serve comfort and escapism and false peacefulness, I call it? Yeah, they, they're suffering addiction, uh, alienating beliefs, weird beliefs they get into to escape the reality. Do you know anybody who's suffering because they chose to serve money and the power of materialism? You know anybody suffering? I see people that are disillusioned, disappointed, disconnected from genuine love because they made the pursuit of money more important than people. Do you know anybody who's suffering because they chose to serve approval or acceptance, likability? I see those people that are suffering from compromise or suffering from confusion. Many of them become victims of abuse because they let the wrong people too close. So, perhaps, not perhaps for me, but for you, maybe it's a perhaps, Jesus would be a better reason. That would be, how about if that would be a better price to pay? To pay the price for knowing Jesus. To pay the price for following Jesus. To pay the price for making him Lord. Wouldn't that be a better deal than paying the price for pleasure and gratification of the flesh, the power of money, escapism, materialism, acceptance and approval, and the psychological crippling that that causes human beings? What if paying the price to follow Jesus is the price of your freedom from all of that stuff? And you are now... You are now what the scripture calls, and the New Testament believers call it the glorious liberty of the children of God. When Jesus became their meaning in life and their purpose in life. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. So may we look up to heaven today and with those early members of the first church, thank Jesus that he is our why. He is our why that justifies anyhow. And see if that won't be a better path than serving the gods that mock us after we have served them, that, that, that ridicule us after we've given ourselves to them and repay us by suffering that's as great or greater than what Christ ever asked for us, but rather serve a Savior who suffered before us and promises that he will be with us
and that any suffering that we have to go through, Paul said it this way. He talked about all of his suffering. He said, but all of this stuff that I've gone through for Christ, it's producing a far greater weight of glory. How many of you like investing? You like investing? Somebody the other day told me how much they had invested in Bitcoin and how much money, how much bit, they told me how much Bitcoin it was making. And I said, well, it's that money. You're making bit, well, they assured me that they could translate it into dollars. I don't know. But some of you out there, you like to invest. I get it. That's fine. I'm going to tell you something. The best investment you will ever make is investment into the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. May I invite you to make, to, to, may I invite you to become a high-level investor in the greatest being who ever walked this earth and who still ever lives to make intercession for you and who really, truly loves you and can't wait to spend eternity with you. Amen?